Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. You didn't see it, but I just did the little hand wave, like, indubitably. Mm. I'm Sydney McElroy. Really? I did not do the hand wave. There, well, she's doing it. it now with two hand, both no, hands. I'm not. I'm not. Sid, you can't do the milady hand wave with two hands. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Doesn't mean anything. Hey, uh, this is if. Hey, finally, things are turning around. On planet Earth. I think we got some really good news yesterday. Yes. The the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine uh, was, well, it was recommended for a emergency use authorization. I don't think it has, at the time of recording, has officially, like, started shipping out. But it was recommended that we do so. So there's a vaccine. Yay! There have been vaccines. But look now under, we know there's Look underneath a, there's your chair, a, listener. There's <laughs> one. There's one right there. Everybody's getting COVID vaccines. That's right. So uh, I think we have made it very clear on the show. Whatever vaccine we can get, we or, made it very clear on our human bodies. Yeah, we jabbed one in. <laughs> maybe have already gotten. I don't know. Placebo versus real thing. Uh, one way or another, we will be vaccinated. As will everybody that we have the power to make meeting our two children eventually yeah if we, <laughs> that's it if we can catch them although we can sometimes make our parents do things sometimes. it is yeah it is hit or miss yeah but, but hey exciting. that's good news yes very 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 exciting very very big day you guys um, the first good news since anyway moving on uh <laughs> the just because this vaccine is on the horizon or is it here and other vaccines are on the horizon. Just because that that has happened doesn't mean that doctors have stopped looking for other treatments for COVID. Because people are still going to be getting this virus and then coming down with the disease COVID nineteen that you can that can follow, and some people will be getting very sick. Yep. Uh, even even as the vaccine is rolled out to everyone, mm -hmm. uh, and it is imperative that we continue to look for new treatments that might help. Um, People either prevent or, or survive the disease. And sometimes we find things that work and sometimes we don't. That's science. Um, one that I've gotten a few emails about and that also I have been following closely and reading a lot about that has interested me is a drug called ivermectin. Mm. Now, Justin, before I told you we were going to do a show on ivermectin, had you heard that word? I had never heard ivermectin. I would say a lot of people haven't, aren't familiar with it, depending on where you live in the world. Uh, unless you have, now, I mean, some people with animals 
may know what I'm talking about. They may be going, do oh, yeah? you mean the thing that I gave to my dog? Or like if you have horses, do you mean the thing that oh, we is it a give thing? to our horses? Yeah. Okay. You know, now that you say that, maybe long ago we gave it to Nessie, our, our Scottish Terrier, perhaps. So some some people have heard of it in a veterinary context and don't realize that it is a, is also a drug that human beings do take. And it the history, I want to talk about the history of ivermectin, and I will at the end kind of cover what we what people are thinking, why people are talking about it in terms of COVID. I, I will go ahead and say at the top that uh, I am not going to, the end of this podcast is not, and now there's a surprise COVID cure, unfortunately. Yeah, no, this one doesn't twist it on you. It's pretty much headed where you think no. it's going. No, I, you know, I think, I think that this, we may be on another hydroxychloroquine story here. Oh um, man. But, uh, but I will, I will go through the data at the end of, of what we know so far and, and where things are going and why people are even interested in it. But I want to talk about ivermectin's story because it is an amazing, life-saving drug. It is a, a hugely important drug on a global scale that maybe you aren't familiar with. Um, and it has nothing to do with COVID, why, why it is so important. There's lots of good stuff that doesn't cure COVID. Yes. <laughs> Pudding. Pudding was the example you came up with? Most hold steady records. There's a couple I'm not crazy about, but most of the hold steady stuff holds up. I was going to say like penicillin. The laughter of children. I mean, it can, anything, anything can be medicine, Sydney, if we've proven anything. No, no, that's no, not not medicine. Just like a nice thing that brings you joy. How about that? Okay. But that's not medicine. The story, though, that I want to talk about with ivermectin starts with a Dr. Satoshi Omura. Dr. Omura is an expert in bioorganic chemistry. He has degrees in pharmaceutical science and, and chemistry. But his fascination, um, and you can he's he's still alive today. You can read the things he's written and, and the papers he's published. Many Tweet at him. Now. Let him know that he's popping off on, <laughs> on Sovens. Uh, I think he already knows. Well, I'll just go ahead and say he, he gets a Nobel Prize in this story. So I think he already knows that he's done some good stuff. Yeah, but he's already been awarded. Sydney like. <laughs> being featured on America's number one, the number one medical podcast on the planet. That's recognition, baby. His his fascination. And he talks about this very eloquently, I think it was always with the idea that the natural world holds these answers, these medical answers. You just have to find them. You have to look for them. And eventually, with time and and skill and knowledge, you can locate these answers. You see a and cauliflower; them. it looks like a brain. That's nature's way of telling you it helps your brain. No, not like that. He, I see. This is where we we've talked about on the show. Like to have that sort of open mind to ask that question is incredibly important for science. But then, what follows that question has to be a rigorous set of protocols in order to answer it correctly and not just answer it in a way that makes you happy. And that is what distinguishes science from, well, everything else, I guess, <laughs> but not science. That is what, that is exactly what Dr. Amir does and did is look to the natural world for answers and then go through a rigorous scientific method to see if he has in fact found them. Um, his particular area of interest became studying soil samples for substances that are that were made by bacteria, but could be useful to humans in some sort of or to 
anyone could be useful in a pharmaceutical sense. Substances made by bacteria seems like a real long way of saying bacteria poopy. <laughs> not necessarily poop. Oh, not necessarily. Well, no. honey, don't you make a lot of substances that aren't feces? when they make these substances? Do they need them or do they disperse them into the uh, environment? Well, again, there are a lot of substances you could disperse into the environment. Yeah, anyway, but let's not. But they don't have noses and anymore. ears. They're bacteria, Sydney. You know yeah. this. You did organic chemistry. They're they. That's <laughs> that just the, poopy. Okay. Anyway, no. Let's go back to the early 1970s. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. I kiss this guy. No, no. no, that's the that's the song that instantly transports you to this 60s. What? Which? What, oh, wait. What, what song takes you to the 70s? Probably. Um, people all over the world. Everybody, join hands. Start a love train. Uh, I thought you just play the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Yeah, no, well, see, that's that feels more 60s to me. Funky oh. Town is probably a universal transports you back to the 70s. Uh, anyway, in the <laughs> Superfly in the early 70s, he was working in this area by basically going all over Japan. I, I think in my mind, when I hear this story, I imagine him personally like traveling all over Japan and collecting these soil samples himself. I don't know that the he physically. I mean, like, he worked in a lab with other people. So yeah. I don't know if he was the one who actually went out into the world to like this, dig up some dirt and put it in a cup and bring it back. This like seems like something you outsource, right? I don't know. I don't know. I, I like to imagine him doing that part too. Um, he seems like the kind of guy who would do the whole thing, like just hands-on part of the whole process. Anyway, so he was looking for substances that might be bioactive and at his lab at Tokyo's uh, Kitasako Institute, he had this agreement with Merck Research Labs in New Jersey that Basically, he would go around, get these samples, scan them to look for something that might be useful, uh, isolated bacteria that that might have some sort of property that, that could be you know useful in a pharmaceutical sense. And when he found stuff, he would then ship it to New Jersey to uh, to the Merck lab to further like investigate, refine and test against different whatever to see mm -hmm. if it worked. Right. Right. They were very specifically looking for a new anti-parasitic drug, an anti-helminth, anti-helminthic drug, which, which means kills worms. Got it. They were looking for a drug that would kill parasitic worms, mm -hmm. more or less, um, because at the time there weren't really any good ones. I mean, there were drugs that worked, but... There were always issues with like toxicity and like how many different worms they could cover. There weren't like broad spectrum. Um, they were actually kind of just looking for a brand new thing. It wasn't building on previous compounds that they knew had this sort of activity. It was like, let's just go out into the world and see if there's something. Let's get these worms. That we haven't found yet. Uh, so... They and, and at this point, they were mainly looking for like veterinary use. That was very much the idea that, you know, parasitic worms were devastating for both like farm animals, animals that were meant for like, you know, consumer production type facilities and pets like animals at large. They needed a good anti-parasitic for. So Dr. Amura found in a sample of soil that was taken from a golf course. 
that was somewhere southwest of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. In this sample, he found an interesting substance and he cultured the bacteria that he found in it. He saw that it had some potential. He shipped it to Dr. William Campbell and his all of his research, uh, you know, technicians, assistants, whatever. And in New Jersey, is he the bad guy? No, feels like he's going to be the bad guy who steals everything. No, these two work together. For now, they no, they work together. We'll see. Um, they they I mean they seem I've read both of their accounts of this and it seems pretty similar. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, and he tested it against some parasitic worms and found that it was very effective. Uh, the early test it was like, whoo, we found something new, something that nobody had discovered before, and it seems to work. And this is all very exciting. The bacteria was then named Streptomyces avermictilis. Avermictilis. Let me say that right. Streptomyces avermictilis. I would have gone with Wormex because uh, it's just real easy to the, remember. Well, it, they kind of did. Mm. Avermictilis. Vermis is Latin for worm. Like uh, a vermis, a worm. Like verma, like verma composting. Yeah. It's got worms yeah, in it. Verma. That that is that means worm. So yes, exactly. And uh, the substance that they found in it that had the biological effect, because just because like if you have a bacteria that seems to do something, it's usually not like the entire bacteria that does it right. There's one substance from it. There's one the compound. Si- the cilia, can... the Golgi bodies. The... Well, not an org, not an organelle, but like a an actual like chemical. This is where you get. This is why or this is why it's not just um, biology or chemistry. It's both together because you have these organic thing. You have this bacteria, which is like in the biology realm, but it's making these chemicals in the chemistry realm and you have to understand both Mm. to know what what is it from we don't want to necessarily infect animals with this bacteria so that we kill the worms why don't we just find the thing that kills the worms and give that that's like at the heart of discovering these natural pharmaceuticals makes sense is, is that concept so anyway he they find that the substance that actually does this is avermectin and they did some refinement on it to make it to like just find the the compounds in the avermectin that were most effective to make them less toxic to make them most potent and they dubbed what was what resulted from all that ivermectin and that is that is how they made the drug ivermectin so every, all the times that you've heard ivermectin the name you're like that's a great name but where did it come from now you know uh in detail how they got to ivermectin uh from the outset, all these people involved in this were so excited about ivermectin. I know you're not yet. I know you're thinking like, you ki- are you kidding me? Can you not see me? I'm waving my arms and jumping up and down the air. There are people out there in the in the bacteriology world who like totally get why this would have been. I mean, this was huge. There There's was no need to throw shade on me, but go on. Well, I'm just saying like they didn't. Usually, if you're looking for a new compound that does something, you just build on. Well, we know that things with this sort of form tend to work so let's just keep looking for things like that they just serendipitously found this whole new substance from this golf course in tokyo that that, uh, kills worms that kills worms and they were very excited about it because it seemed to work on a wide variety of worms it worked all throughout the gut like worms found in different levels of the gut um and a lot of different animals and this is this is an interesting point uh, that I was reading when Dr. Campbell was describing the discovery. He said one of the most important things was not just what it did kill, but what it didn't kill. 
Mm. Uh, the way he put it was if you wanted uh, a new um, anti-helminth to not work on something, it was the dog heartworm. And the reason for that is that if you if a dog has a heartworm and you don't know about it, a worm in their heart, and you give them something that will kill that too, like you're trying to treat something else, but it also kills this this heartworm, then that worm can actually cause a pulmonary embolus, like oh, a blood gosh. clot in the lung when it after it dies. And then that could result in you losing the dog. So you don't want to accidentally, you want to know if that's there, you want to treat it very intentionally. You wouldn't want to give some, give a dog a medication that would accidentally treat that. Do you understand? Yeah, that makes sense. So it didn't do that. So this was an amazing drug because it did what you wanted it to do. It didn't do the stuff you didn't want it to do. Um, it was all very exciting. Uh, and in addition, they started to test it against some insects, too. So not just parasites inside the body, but ectoparasites, parasites that can live outside your body, certain kind of mites or beetles or lice and that kind of thing. And they found that it was useful against some of those, too. And that was the first time that they'd found a substance that was both like toxic to endoparasites, parasites that live in your body, and ectoparasites, parasites hmm. that live outside the body. So it was an indecticide. This was the beginning of the class of indecticides. Again, very... Here we are. I mean, I, I feel like I'm standing in Abbey Road Studios right now. This is electric. And it seemed to have very little risk of toxicity, too. It seemed to be like, well, if, if once you've refined it to the ivermectin and you give it, it, there's very low risk to the animal you're giving it to and a lot of risk to the parasites you want to kill. Um, and the success was overwhelming. It, it became the leading indecticide worldwide. It was a mainstay for vets. I mean, it really just as soon as it hit the veterinary world, it just overtook pretty much anything else they had for the most part because it was so safe and effective and had such a broad spectrum of activity. One thing that it was found to be useful for was a specific kind of parasitic worm, a nematode, that horses got. And mm. it was called Oncocerca cervicalis. And that name is going to lead us to the next chapter and why this drug is so important worldwide. Folks, there's a lot more layers to this onion to peel, <laughs> but I, I predict that my wife is going to leave me in suspense about Uncochera cervicalis and its connection to this case. Uh -huh. First, we're going to go to the billing department. <laughs> Let's go. I can't wait. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, 
you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. Our bills are paid, Sydney. You got to tell me what those two weird Latin words mean. Okay. Along some fast-moving rivers. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just stick with me. I'm with you. Are you kidding me? You will find certain types of black flies. Okay. Of the simulium species, various subspecies of black fly. These flies can carry little teeny larvae or microfilariae larvae, little little teeny larvae. You, you had it on the first one, but you did have to circle back to show that you knew the word, and I respect that. Of the parasitic nematode Oncocerca volvulus in their gut. So, are you following me? There are oh, flies yeah, I am, but that for the listeners. Worm larva inside them. Flies okay. with worm larvae inside them. Okay. These worm larvae, the word is microfilariae, but we're going to, should we stick with worm larvae? Maybe just stick with worm larvae for them. Will eventually penetrate the stomach wall. They'll migrate to the head and proboscis of the fly, the part that bites you. Mm-hmm. And there, when that black fly does bite someone, they can enter human skin. Okay. Mm, okay. These little these little worm larvae can then go from the black fly into the human. Bugs still the worst. Moving on. They will then travel through the subcutaneous tissue all over the body. Okay. They will set up shop in little nodules in the in the skin. You can see these from mm-hmm. the outside. That's not what's in your hand. You're freaking out now about no, what's no. in your hand. No, that's no. not. That's, uh, a, that's ganglion a ganglion cyst. cyst. You're yeah, fine. You. That's not what this is. Um, Thanks for making that public knowledge, too. Looking forward to a thorough discussion of that on Twitter. <laughs> thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know it was private. Uh, thank you. It's the uh, anyway, so they, they'll set up shop in these little nodules on, around the body where they will mature into adult worms and mate and produce more little worm larvae. 
exactly. that will then continue to migrate throughout the body. Okay. 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 Uh, the and by the way, in case you want to finish out this life cycle, at some point, this human that now has these little microfilariae or worm larvae living in in their skin could get bitten by another black fly who will suck up some of those little larvae and carry them on to another human mm-hmm. just to complete the life cycle in case you're curious. Yeah, thank you. Anybody, I knew that. Anybody well. who's ever studied parasitology knows these life you got to you got to know these life cycles. You got to know you got you you know the pictures. Anyway. So, importantly, these little larvae when they go all over the human body are just kind of there until they die. Okay. When they when they die different places in the human body is when they really start to cause trouble. Wherever they die, they will cause inflammation, irritation, you can get itching, you can get skin lesions from this. And some of these will actually make it to your eye. And this is where they cause the real problem. Because if these little larvae make it to your eye and then die there, the inflammation and everything that can result from that can cause visual loss or blindness. This is why these things are so important because of that. Onchocerciasis, also known kind of colloquially as river blindness because the black flies live near these rivers and that's why all that is important, um, is the second leading infectious cause of blindness in the world. Uh, Now, about 99% of these cases occur in 31 African nations and then the rest in Yemen, Venezuela, and Brazil. And uh, as of 2017, there were 20.9 million infections worldwide um, 14.6 million of them ha- of the people infected had the skin disease and 1.15 million had vision loss. So this is a big problem. Yeah, okay? absolutely. So I, I want to set that up that this is, and it, as you may notice, this worm that causes this big problem is Onchocerca volvulus. And you may remember the horse nematode was called Onchocerca cervicalis. So something's in common there, right? Yeah. This, this dawned on some researchers because up until 1981, the only drugs available to treat onchocerciasis were not great. They had really high toxicity, um, so they were dangerous to the humans that they were treating, as well as the worms that had, you know, that were inside. Um, you needed a lot of doses, which could be cumbersome depending on what part of the world you were in and who you were trying to reach. And they had a high rate of something called the Mazzotti reaction, hmm. which is basically it's a it's a constellation of symptoms that happens after you're treated for one of these filarial diseases. Um, and you can get like fever and itching and your heart can race, you, your blood pressure can drop, you can get pretty sick. Um, the thought is that it's like an inflammatory reaction from the death of all these larvae all okay. over your body, okay? Right. That's kind of like the basic idea behind it. Um, and the treatment could be just as likely to cause vision loss as the disease itself because you take the treatment you have these little larvae in your eyes as they died there's all this inflammation That's and then bad. it's a bad yeah. medicine and so so they didn't have great treatments for onchocerciasis so seeing how successful ivermectin was against this horse nematode some of the researchers specifically dr campbell takes a lot of the credit for this thought wait a minute sorry (laughs) sorry what did you say 
Dr. Campbell takes a lot of the credit for this. I, well, I think huh. he did. He was the one it, who first it, thought of interesting. it. Interesting. No, there, there is no, a little heel turn for Dr. Campbell. I sensed no, it and you delivered. No, there is. That is not the you case. You just didn't want to ruin your, your surprise that too early. The there is no um, headbutting between any of these researchers that I am aware of. Yes, me take a little as credit. As far as I know, they all got together. <laughs> But anyway, he was the one who sa- said, like, I think maybe, you know, if it works against this one Oncocerca, could it work against this other one? And maybe we should call it Campbell Mall. Just a thought. Just a thought I thought of just now. So in, so they started testing it out, doing all the things you do to a drug to see, like, OK, could it could, could it is it safe in a human? They started those sort of lab trials and then eventually in 1981 clinical trials to test the theory. And by 1988, it was the mainstay of treatment because it did, in fact, work. And was not toxic to humans. So it was a much better treatment than the ones that had existed previously. Um, In order to get it to all the communities that needed it most, the parts of the world that needed it most, the uh, Kitsado Institute actually agreed to forego any royalties. And along with Merck, they made it free for the Mm. treatment of onchocerciasis for as long as that is needed. And as far as I know, that is still the case. Um, It is interesting. Ivermectin actually doesn't kill the adult worms. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't do that. Uh, so those can continue to mate and reproduce. So it's sort of like a suppressive maintenance kind of therapy. We don't have any other way to kill the adult worms right now. Okay. Um, but if you take it uh, with some, and, and by regularly, I mean like a couple times a year. So not that regularly. Then you won't have any of the little worm larvae and you're fine. You won't get the disease. Great. So the worm might be there, but it's not going to harm you. Um. In addition, what grew from this was this concept of community-based treatment, which is really essential with these kinds of, they're not communicable human to human, but they're passed through the flies, right, Right. within a community. So instead of you think about like each dose is administered from a one-on-one interaction between a physician and a patient, which could happen, you could do it that way, but also you would give doses to a community to distribute as needed. And what they found is that they were actually able to lower transmission as well by doing this. So this Mm. is a a huge public health thing to not only be able to treat individual patients with it, but to be able to treat a whole community and you're going to reduce cases this way by, do do you get what I'm saying? If there's fewer people with it, there's fewer flies infected with it and then they pass it to fewer people and so on and so forth. So. All of this work has resulted in a huge decrease in the global burden of onchocerciasis. Um, Four countries have been declared free of it so far. And there are others that are moving towards that. The goal is global elimination of this disease. That is the goal. Um, And it's one of those we've talked about before, like neglected tropical diseases that places like the Carter Institute are very focused on. Um, This is Mm -hmm. one of those that, you know, we have a treatment for. It is effective. It takes a lot of work, but you could eradicate it if we keep moving forward. Um, Ivermectin was also found over time to be useful for some other things. Um, Lymphatic filariasis, which you may know as like elephantiasis. Mm. Heard that. Um, Where the little different filaria, different little larvae can clog lymphatic channels and things in your body and can cause swelling and that sort of thing. It's useful for that as well. Strongyloides, which is another worm infection. Um, some kinds of lice and scabies it can be used for. So it has other uses in humans. Um, and there are also even some interesting projects that have looked at things like uh, mosquitoes that bite humans who have taken ivermectin 
have shorter lifespans. Mm. So the thought was, even though ivermectin doesn't treat malaria, if patients or if people in areas of the world that have a high burden of malaria are treated with ivermectin, maybe we can wipe out these mosquitoes. Can we wipe out some of the mosquitoes? Yes. I mean, that. so there's it. it's a really it's an amazing life saving drug that has been, you know, has had huge global impact. And in 2015, Dr. O'Meara and Dr. Campbell won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for for this discovery. It is one of the World Health Organization's essential medication. And it's, I mean, it's saved tons of lives and sight. And I mean, it's it's a huge. So ivermectin that, is a hugely important medicine, both in the veterinary world and in the human world for reasons that have nothing to do with COVID. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. What a great wait. story. And it's not going to be perverted at all by anybody. And oh, there's, no, no, <laughs> there's no bad part of it. This is what this is where I think. Unfortunately, science is inherently political. I think it always has been. We can say it is now, but I, I mean, it's. I think it's unfair to say that it hasn't always been to some degree. Yeah, Galileo would like to. <laughs> I think have a, <laughs> for a lot of us, we would make the case that in this pandemic with COVID, it didn't have to be as political as it is. But here we are. Um, and so I think when you have something that is like this unproven treatment for COVID that gets touted, th- there's a lot of skepticism now. Yes. Um, And fairly so, because we have been led down the primrose path several times. Um, Why would anybody think that this anti-worm medication works for COVID? What was the thought? Well, it wasn't a wild thought. Ivermectin has a unique, it took us a while to figure out the mechanism of action. I'm not going to get into all that because I think that can get tedious, but it was interesting. It was unique. Why not try it against other things? Obviously, we have in the parasitic world. It jumped from, you know, animals to humans and then to other parasites and humans. Why don't we try it against viruses? There have been some in vitro studies about like things like the Zika virus that showed some promise um, and other viruses. So like maybe it does work against viruses. Right. Like people had that question. And like I said, I think asking the question, could this work against viruses is a totally valid question. And then when you put it in a Petri dish and see that it does seem to work somewhat against viruses to continue to ask more questions is always valid. I don't ever think that should be those questions should be discouraged Um, because of that. It was tried in vitro against COVID against coronavirus, I should say the virus that causes COVID. And it showed some effect in a in, in, in a lab. Right. Right. Vials. They put some ivermectin in and it killed some viruses. And they said, woohoo. Yay. Yay. Now, here's the catch. When they looked at what they were, how they were able to treat this coronavirus in these in these cells in a dish with ivermectin, um, the levels of ivermectin of continuous like high plasma levels of ivermectin that you would have to achieve in order to to replicate this lab result in a human body are beyond anything we've ever achieved in a human mm. they're like 35 times what the plasma levels it's a very in a large human pill are. it would be a very large pill <laughs> it's questionable even toxicity aside because like the one question would be could you give that much ivermectin to a human and they live I mean, it's a really safe drug. It has a pretty, I mean, it has a very good profile, but most things have their limits. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you can drink too much water, so everything has a limit. But even if, even if 
toxicity aside, just to like achieve those plasma levels continuously, I don't know that you could do it. Like the question has been, because it could it even physically be done to replicate the success they had in the lab? Um, no, is is the general consensus. Now, people have tried it anyway. There have been, I mean, relatively speaking, few. There there have been a handful of studies throughout the world. Uh, there are ongoing trials in the U.S. and India, um, in South America, different countries. There have been, you know, different trials and like retrospective studies looking back at patients that were in the hospital. There was one that was done on uh, hospitals in Florida looking at at cases in Florida um, that have shown maybe it helped some because it was early on. It was added to a lot of protocols or just thrown at patients randomly. In um, the low levels that we're used to. Right. Not these wild levels. No, exactly. And and in yes, in, in normal dosing, in normal dosing. Uh, the the question, though, is that, you know, we're in the midst of the pandemic. We're not going to get a ton of good data that quickly. We right. just can't. Um, there haven't been the good multi-center, double blind, randomized control trials that you expect to show you if a drug works or not. The small studies sometimes show some effects, sometimes don't. Uh, there are a lot of, co- co- of like confounding things that aren't controlled for. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of flaws. Some are still preprints. Uh, there's not enough data that any sort of medical body has said this is a good idea right now. You know, the 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 World Health Organization, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, um, all of these sorts of organizations in different countries around the world all advise against its use at this time outside of clinical trials. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you want to you know, design a study and get approval and do a clinical trial. You can do that with it, but don't just give it to patients. Right. Um, in South America, it was adopted like really dramatically. There were, uh, it was added to a lot of hospital protocols. Um, some of that has been pulled back because a lot of, uh, a lot of the early adoption was based on a preprint that was issued and then retracted, uh, showing a lot of effectiveness of ivermectin that use that surgosphere data. We've talked about surgosphere on this show before. Remember the surgosphere? Yeah, thing? yeah remind me. Which was just like this fake oh, yeah, like a data wild, collection, yeah. like pr- maybe based on nothing kind of. Anyway, um, so because of that, that's been retracted. And so now there are some places that are like, well, we kind of thought that was kind of what we based our decision on. Maybe this is a right. good idea. Anyway, the stuff that is indicative of anything is pretty weak. Um, this may be another hydroxychloroquine. I have no data that tells me otherwise right now. I know that there are certain organizations uh, that are very excited about it, certain like critical care organizations that are pushing it really hard as like we need to be giving this to everybody. I know very um, like high profile. There was a doctor who pleaded before a Senate committee just a few days ago that we should be giving this to everybody. Um but a lot of this is based on anecdote. A lot of this is based on doctors saying, I gave it to people and I know it worked. Yeah. And we don't do things like that. We, we just it, right now we would need a lot more actual clinical trials yeah. to show that this works because you, I could pick apart the studies that are out there, but I mean, some of them don't have control groups. A lot of them don't 
tell us like when was it started in the course of the disease and don't control for like differences between the groups of patients and a lot of them are looking back and I like that because you said I could pick apart the problems with the studies in the way that indicated you weren't going to do that and then you're like no you know what I'm going to circle back around and get them real quick I cannot help it I just think right now you have some things that go, huh, I wonder if there's something there. And from that, you have some individuals who are going, there is definitely something there. And that's right. not how science works. Right. Even though just that- like with the with this story I just told you, they didn't immediately say we should give ivermectin to humans because it killed a horse worm. <laughs> they did years of study to make sure it was a good idea and that it worked before they gave it to humans. Yeah. And that's that's how science works. Um, you need some good trials. Uh, and also please don't take veterinary meds. A lot of people as a result of this have started looking at their dog's heartworm medication and going, mm. well, could I maybe, I? or like people who own horses. I've seen that on the internet. Like, well, I have tons of ivermectin for the horses. Don't take veterinary meds. They're not made for you. Please don't take them. They're not for humans. The, the everything about them is different. The the yeah. regulation of them is different. The dosing is different. Please the horse do not ones have a hay flavor, and <laughs> you don't want that. If you need ivermectin for an actual medical reason, a doctor will prescribe it to you. Go talk to a doctor. Do not take veterinary medicines for anything. This or anything. I just feel like that should be said. And it has been. This isn't the first thing. I know people out there are taking fish penicillin. They've told me about it. Please don't do that. Stop it. Please stop. (laughs) Stop taking veterinary medicines. Leave them for the animals for which they are intended. Um, Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, We hope you have uh, decided to let your dog keep taking their worm medicine instead of you stealing it up all for yourself. That's so rude. So rude. Your dog doesn't <laughs> want worms. <laughs> uh, thanks to the taxpayers for these. Their song medicines is the intro and outro of our program. Hey, wait, don't go. Don't click on in the next podcast or whatever. We have to tell you something really important. Uh, two, two really important things. Uh, we are once again doing the annual uh, Candlelight Spectacular. This time it is a live streaming. Uh, well, not a live stream. It is a streaming event. Uh, that we have filmed many, many, many segments for. It is going to be a wild thing. If you have seen Sydney and my um, Hallmark movie, uh, A Medicine Called Christmas, Christmas the last two years, and A Medicine Called Christmas too, then you will definitely want to tune in for this. Uh, Bit.ly forward slash Candle Nights twenty twenty is the uh, is the address it is five dollars. Okay, uh, there's pl- singing, there's dancing, there's podcasting. There's five dollars plus a. Dollar twenty-five uh, fee to our our uh, streaming partner, and that five dollars is going to go to Harmony House, which is a shelter in our area for people experiencing homelessness. So it is for charity. It is going to be full of wild stuff. There's special guests. There's music. There's dancing. There's kids. There's adults. There's Santa. There's everything. And it's just Star, five dollars. But if you can and you want to donate more, Harmony House is a wonderful organization. Uh, I work with them to provide medical care. And I can't say enough for these people who are really doing good, hard work uh, that the community needs so much. Bit.ly forward slash Candlelight 2020. One more address I want to give to you. Bit.ly forward slash Sawbones paperback. That's right. The Sawbones book is coming back with brand new content, sort of inspired by the 
the uh, events of 2020, new illustrations by Taylor Smurl, new words by us, and a new cover by Trees that's soft and not hard, like the last one. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, uh, Bit.ly forward slash Sawbones paperback that comes out December 29th. Please, 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 please. Uh, I'd love to do another book like this sometime, but we don't get to do it if a bunch of people don't buy it. So please, bit.ly forward slash Sawbones paperback. Uh, that is going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.